Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the crossover Sports Illustrated's NBA show. Breaking down the latest news, rumors, and everything in between. Here's your host, Chris Mannix, Rohan, Nadkani, and Chris Herring. This is the Crossover NBA Podcast. I'm Chris Maddox, joined this week by Chris Herring and Rowan Notkerny. And fellas, we have a series. The finals will not be a four-game sweep. It will not be a Denver Nuggets coronation, as some, including perhaps a few in the Denver organization, perhaps a few in that (laughs) Denver locker room, Mm. believed it was going to be after Miami just took it to the Denver Nuggets, 111-108 on Sunday night. Um, Herring, this was a wake-up call, I think, for the Denver Nuggets. Um, You know, they have been, and I wrote this on Sunday night, they have been the kind of pay-attention-to-me Nuggets. They have been the uh, respect-us Nuggets. And I think over the last couple of days, Maybe they read one too many of their press clippings. Maybe they saw one too many YouTube videos of people on ESPN or FS1 talking about how awesome they were. Because they came out, especially in the second half, but they came out with the nonchalance that I haven't seen since the Eastern Conference Finals, when the Boston Celtics played with the same level of nonchalance uh, against Miami. Uh, What did you see in Game 1? I mean, I won't deny that there might have been some of that. I mean, I'll be honest in saying that I think a lot of it too was just, you know, there were, it was too early in a series really to know definitively whether 
Miami had exhausted everything they could go to, and they, and they really hadn't. Um, from the very second this game started, you were looking at a different lineup that I think tactically changed a lot of things for Miami as far as matchups were concerned. You know, the very beginning of game one, we watched Aaron Gordon just literally mow down Miami defenders that weren't big enough. So it was like a size disadvantage. And if anything, you're looking at Jokic being the guy normally that is just so much bigger and kind of more agile as far as the way he handles the ball and the way he passes. But, you know, we're looking at them not being able to contain Aaron Gordon, and he's just dominating to the tune of 12 points to start a game. Here, you kind of alleviate that problem by plugging in Kevin Love, whether it was because of Caleb Martin being sick or, or whatever. There's that aspect uh, that, you know, all of a sudden allows for you um, – to be able to play them differently. You're, you're not overmatched anymore from that standpoint. Uh, Jimmy Butler gets to guard Jamal Murray from that standpoint. And not to mention, I think the biggest thing that um, Eric Spolster can deny it all he wants, that's fine, he's supposed to do that. Uh, Miami defended Jokic differently. And I think this is what I mean from the standpoint of, um, are you going to try something different you can try to make Jokic a score, and we've seen success with that, with other teams doing that. Jokic, when he's scoring 39 or fewer in a game, I think the Nuggets are 13-1 and one in this postseason. When he's had 40 or more, they're 0-3. Um, the flip side is true as well from an assist standpoint. When he's had um, seven assists or fewer um, in the regular season, I think that they were 4-8. and eight. Um, And this postseason, they've been something like 0-3 or 0-4. Um, when, when that's the case, something like that. But the numbers kind of go on to show that if you can involve the other guys less and you focus on making Jokic just outscore you and your whole team, that's a pretty good strategy against this team. And it might really be the only one Miami has left, considering that I think we all can look at the talent disparity and say Denver has more. Um, Denver's got a deeper team. But if Miami hits shots, which they did yesterday, and Miami... Um, forces Jokic to score, which I don't think he really wants to do. I think he would rather involve his teammates. That's the sort of unselfish player he is. Uh, they might have a shot. Uh, you know. Also, I'm sure Michael Malone and everybody else would love if KCP wasn't fouling every three-point shooter and Michael Porter Jr. remembered how to shoot and remembered how to defend <laughs> a little bit. But um, I really do feel like you know, maybe there were some nonchalance. Maybe they were um, you know, smelling themselves a little bit here and, and, and really... Um, thinking that they were overmatching the Heat, and they have, and they probably will at some point in this series. But they, they, the Heat were not going to roll over if any team is not going to just give up. It's this Miami team, and I think we saw that yesterday. Yeah, Rowan, we got to give Miami credit for strategic adjustments, and you know, Herring referring to you know Spolster denying it. I mean, I think it was Ramona Shelburne that asked the question of you know turning. Nikola Jokic into a scorer, and he, he downplayed. He sort of was a little condescending about it, but he downplayed been, it in that moment. He's, no, I know, but he's he, been, oh gosh, he's, yeah, he's been, yeah. I mean, but uh, regardless, uh, you know, in the regular season when Jokic had eight assists or less, the Nuggets were seven and thirteen. So, like, the numbers bear out the ones that Herring has was talking about. The one I just mentioned. Like it's it's a fact. If you make him a scorer and not a passer, and you keep him from getting these double doubles and triple doubles, you give yourself uh, a pretty good chance uh, to win. All that being said, you know I was sitting there at Michael Malone's press conference, and he opened up with just a blistering 
uh, diatribe about his team's effort. They just didn't have it. They they came in and they were whining at the refs. They were sulking about missed shots. I mean, that that to me, especially in that fourth quarter when you know I know they had an eight point lead, but they came out with no urgency. Denver, no urgency whatsoever. And Miami came out with a sense of purpose. Uh, I just thought Denver, you know, thought they'd already won something. I thought the Nuggets believed that. You know, my you know, I don't know why they would believe this because Miami has rolled through the very best in the NBA. Number one seed Milwaukee, number two seed Boston. But I think Denver came out and thought the Heat were just going to roll over in that fourth quarter, and that's not at all what they did. I I actually have to agree with you quite a bit, Mannix, for the reason, you know, I went back right after the game. One of the first things I did, I rewatched every single three Max Struess took. Especially okay, that's just, quarter, he, that's just weird. Well, that's just well, weird. <laughs> <laughs> that's just weird. You know, because there was so much – well, there was just so much conversation after the game about – is Miami shooting unsustainable, right? You know, why are the Heat hitting all these threes? You know, he had two of his threes. One, there's a miscommunication at the top of the key. Nikola Jokic, it's the NBA Finals. You have two games, two days off before the next game. He watches Max Drews shoot a wide-open three. He do- doesn't even make a- an attempt to close out. Doesn't even feign an attempt to close out. Nothing. You know, another one, miscommunication in the corner. Max Drews gets another wide-open three. Uh, another play, Kentavious Caldwell Pope overhelping. He gets another wide open three. You cannot have these lapses in the finals. And it's one thing if it's happening, you know, late in the game, Jimmy Butler uh, gave up a Jamal Murray three that I bet he wants back. It's a little different when you're fatigued and on the end of a comeback versus the first quarter, you don't have the energy to close out on the opponent's best shooter. And one thing that really, I, I think, kind of, I don't know what the, how to phrase this, bothered me, I think, after game one is the way I'd put it, is so many people, you know, seeing all this stuff, the Nuggets swarming defense in game one. Look at how well the Nuggets played in game one. Oh, they don't care how many shots Bam Adebayo was going to shoot. I was not impressed with Denver's defense in game one, frankly. I thought they gave up a ton to Miami in the short roll. Uh, they gave up a ton to Bam. They gave Miami so much space. I said that on this podcast. I said that. In my quick game one recap, lo and behold, they, they do the same thing in game two. They continue to give Miami shooter space. They continue to give Bam out of Iowa space. What happens? Bam dominated that game, I think, offensively for Miami. And the Heat shooters got into a rhythm early, and, and that hurt Denver all night. I have not been impressed with their defensive performance so far in this series. I think Miami continues to get open looks on that end of the floor. And listen, I've been one of the biggest Jokic defenders over the last two or three years. I've, I've tried to point out where I think his defense is good. I don't think he brought the requisite intensity needed for an NBA Finals game in Game 2. We didn't see the active hands. We didn't see him hedging. Uh, we didn't see him, you know, kind of being that little that pest, that irritant that he can be on defense. He's never going to be a classic rim protector like Joel Embiid, but he has a way of bothering opponents. I didn't see enough of that in game two. That's not even beginning into the defensive breakdowns by KCP and MPJ. And that that's why I agreed with Michael Malone. <laughs> it's why this whole like disrespect thing, you know, it feels like both teams are trying to play it. You know, as Spo likes to say, it's decided between the four lines. At the end of the day, like, it, I'm with you, man. I thought it was uh, not worthy of a finals game performance by Denver. And part of the problem is they are so good offensively. Sometimes it looks like they play defense with the attitude of, we'll just get it back on the next possession. You know, we'll, we'll just go down and score. It doesn't matter. But you play with fire enough times, it's, it's going to burn you. 
the fact that the Heat were so good with Nikola Jokic on the floor last night, I think they had like a 17 net rating or something like that in Jokic's minutes, and he obviously plays most of the game. They dominated that game with Jokic on the floor. They especially dominated that game when Bam and Jokic were both on the floor in game two. And that, to me, is something for Miami to build on moving forward. Uh, look, I, I would push back a little bit in the sense that in the fourth quarter, you know, Miami had a 12-point lead with like four minutes to go. And the Nuggets cut it to three, and that was almost entirely due to Jokic, like the plays he was making offensively. Miami made him into a score. There's no doubt about that. They were, mm-hmm. they were determined to take away all those shots. But if I'm making kind of a hierarchy of whose fault that was for Denver. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm probably putting Jokic further down on that list behind KCP, who was awful on both ends of the floor. One for four offensively, nothing on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. MPJ goes five for 16 in game one. He's two for eight in game two. Didn't make anywhere near the kind of impact on the glass and defensively as he did uh, in game one. Uh, Jamal Murray, he was fine, but he didn't. Yeah, he had some some sloppy moments there as well. I think what Denver Herring has to figure out is what do you do when Miami plays this kind of defense on Jokic where they say, all right, you can get 40, but we're not going to let some of these other guys get off. I think that's an adjustment Michael Malone's going to have to make before Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm curious. I, I don't think, you know, to Rohan's point, Miami – I mean, it, it really did feel like that strategy to me was was the difference here. Also, I'm not going to belabor the point too much, but I wouldn't blame any Nuggets fans that are frustrated about uh, a couple of calls that, that – or non-calls is probably the better way to put it – that also could have swung the game as well. It was a close game. Um, yeah, but that, that was Celtics-esque too. That was like more – you know, I mean, I'd like there, the, there's a goaltending I, I call. I Jason and a, Tatum in my head. You know, but ah! I mean, there's a – the, the, the goaltending thing in particular, I think, was, you know, when you're looking I mean, at the fact that, you know, the there's Jokic, that there, the, there was the a, a play with Butler. I, I mean, there, there's that. I, I, there was also a play where Bam, you know, got whistled for a foul that, frankly, I was stunned that the Heat didn't challenge. But uh, so there were mistakes made both ways. But I thought there were a couple. Anytime you've got a goaltending call in what I guess was the last quarter of a game, I'm, I'm a little bit stunned. I would lo- like to see the league implement something where you can go back and change it at a break the same way you can with a, a three-pointer or something like that. But no, to not to get a, too far away from what I was saying, um, Rohan pointed out that the Heat played extremely well when Jokic was on the floor. I think it speaks volumes about the fact that when Denver went on their run in the second quarter and maybe threatened to run away with the game to go up by 15, Jokic was off the floor during that time. And I, I really do feel like Miami's game plan here was make Jokic do it by himself and stay attached to everybody else. No threes. Jokic went 47 minutes in this game without a three-point assist. Um, the only one he ended up wow. having was one at the very end of the game where he's grabbing an offensive rebound, Miami scrambling, and he finds Murray. And I think that that, is, that speaks volumes about the sort of defense they're playing and what they were prioritizing to take away. And also the fact that the three guys that played off the bench for the Nuggets all had... I think they were plus 14, plus 12, plus 8. Uh, so it tells you that they they really, not not necessarily that Miami didn't have a game plan when Jokic was off the floor, but they were really tethering to their game plan when Jokic was on the floor and no one else was going to really see opportunities. Bruce Brown is a cutter and all these other things. So maybe there are better ways to incorporate 
other guys and to try different things when Jokic is out there so that he can still have options to pass to because they really did make him go get it himself. I wouldn't put him on the hierarchy anywhere as far as it being his fault. Of course, you'd love to see him do a little bit more defensively and stuff like that. But when you're asked to do that much offensively and you're kind of out of your ecosystem as someone that is a hub and a a passer and you're not able to do that, I mean, the only thing you can do really is score. And he was doing that efficiently. Well, hold on real quick. Let me just jump in to say I'm not trying to suggest that it was Jokic's fault. Only that I, that's the first playoff no, game. I, I, I interpreted. I interpreted right. as Jokic. You, well, no, that you were blaming Jokic. That's, that's no, no, no. I My, it certainly was a collective effort from Denver. My point is that I, I can't remember a playoff game in which the Nuggets Jokic's minutes were that thoroughly dominated by the other team, and they have one of the best Fair. starting fives in all of basketball. And I will just the only pushback I'll say is. You know, you're talking about how much Jokic is asked to do offensively, which I totally get. But just look at the Heat stars. Jimmy Butler guards Jamal Murray to start the game. Nikola Jokic, or Bam Adebayo starts on Nikola Jokic to start the game. I, again, I, I am the biggest Jokic fan on this podcast. And I, I'm not trying to suggest it was all his fault. But let's just look at the other team's stars if you want to talk about two-way responsibility. And this is the Fair. finals. I mean, this is what it takes. This is what it takes. Fair. Well... Yeah, no, look, he did not have a great defensive game. However, uh, he did have 41 points. Absolutely, on six, absolutely. On, on 16 of 28 shootings, 7 for 8 from the free throw line, 11 rebounds in this game as well. The five turnovers were bad. That that Especially mm-hmm. he had two in the fourth quarter, a couple of giveaways that you know added to the kind of nonchalance, I thought, that they showed uh, early in that stage. But, I mean, I, when I'm looking at the problems that Denver had in this game, uh, I'm pointing the finger right at Porter Jr. Two for eight, one for mm-hmm. six. KCP point range. Not KCP good. not good. Uh, Jamal Murray even three for eight from three. That's not a good number. Um, you know he did have ten assists, so he, that's a that's a positive. And the bench I thought was pretty good. The bench is what you know kind of saved them in that first quarter when Miami jumped out on that run. Christian Braun. You know, uh, Jeff Green can I, is can re- I remarkably talk about this playing minutes. Watching Jeff Green and Kevin Love play in the, in the finals, by the way, is <laughs> like guarding each other. It's like, what year are we in that these two are going at it? I just need to say that, listen, Eric Spolstra, goaded, stamped, whatever. The, the Cody Zeller minutes are baffling to me. And Got to play somebody. That- you, I, I agree, but the fact that Bam is not matching his minutes with Jokic is kind of shocking to me, and I know that's not like a cure-all strategy, and I understand that you have to make sure Bam doesn't get in foul trouble, etc. But I I think the Heat need to flip Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo's rest. Jimmy Butler plays the whole first quarter. Bam Adebayo comes out with four minutes to go in the first. It's like they've punted on the last four minutes of the first quarter in, in the first two games. Because Jokic just dominates Cody Zeller. I, I don't know that there's a bigger possible mismatch in the NBA positionally than Nikola Jokic versus Cody Zeller. That might be the the two opposite ends of the spectrum in the NBA right now. And I think the Heat, I, give, I agree, they got to play Cody Zeller. Uh, if if it were me, and I'm obviously not Don't Eric do Spolstra, it. Don't do it. Don't do I, it. I'll just say that I think that there's an argument to be made. The Nuggets go small with their bench unit. 
that's an opportunity for Miami to go small if they take Bam off the floor to start the second quarter. Oh, I would I play thought for, Bam. I thought you were going to go Haslam. I thought you were going Haslam right there. <laughs> oh god! Oh. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was convinced I just, you were going to go Haslam. Right I was there. wondering why Chris got so like, don't do it, don't do it. That, that's a good I reason he was to get go. You dot his Haslam. We, we, but for the record, it's kind of a miracle that. Uh, an NBA team is in the finals playing Cody Zeller significant minutes. Yep. I don't mean to bag on the guy, but you know Cody he's Zeller. He's their highest traffic. He's their highest traffic on the roster. Is Cody Zeller? It's incredible. He's got whatever's going <laughs> on with that face it's a mask. Wild it's stat, G. Wow, <laughs> it's it's wild. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up as well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans. 
fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let me ask you guys this, Harry, I'll start with you. Does this change your opinion of how this series is going to play out. I think all three of us picked the Nuggets to win. I think all three of us picked them, what, six or seven games. So we all anticipated that Miami would get some wins. But the fact that Miami won game two, the fact that Denver uh, looked out of sorts in this game, does this change how you feel about how this series is going to play out? I'm not sure yet. I mean, I, I think the truth is probably somewhere in between game one and game two, which if that's the case, then it still favors Denver. Uh, obviously, these two games were in Denver. I'm interested to see now, you know, to Rohan's point, does Bam, one, does Spo match Bam and, and Jokic's minutes? Two, does it become a little bit easier to do that when Bam's not playing at altitude? Um when they go to Miami, when I, I read in that ESPN feature that they did on the altitude, that the altitude of Miami is something like six and a half feet. Six, high. six, yeah, it's about six um, yeah. feet. Above so it's like Jimmy Butler's height. You see, so that you see the water easier. from the arena. You know, you the Nuggets the say that. The- like this is like the altitude thing has become kind of bonkers. Like you know, before the game, uh, you know, that when they introduced the two teams, the Nuggets PA announcer goes, you know, in Denver, and they list the altitude there, then. It's like the Miami Heat, six feet above sea level. Uh, yeah, it's become like it's become a little. Yeah. Even Malone, brought, even Malone brought this up. Malone's like, "Look, Miami's played here before. They've been here a week. Like, it's not that big a deal right yeah. now for them." Yeah. So, I mean, it, I don't think it is. Generally speaking, I, I do think that from a fatigue standpoint, I, I think these guys want it badly enough. I don't think it's a want issue. But one, they just won the game. You know, game two, a game two that they really, I think for morale they couldn't lose the way they did in game one uh they won game two uh bam might potentially be able to play longer minutes because one they're playing at home two it's it's out of an environment where your oxygen's kind of sucked from you a little bit faster so um so there's that aspect how do how do they handle that but i i do think to your all's points about whether denver played hard enough um they should be able to clean some things up. Rohan raises a really good point that even in game one, uh, Miami had a lot of shots they left on the table that they, they just missed. They made a lot of those shots in, in game two. We've seen that they're capable of doing it against Milwaukee um, at times in the Boston series, towards the end of the Boston series. So they're capable of doing it. But I think the question is, like, can Denver turn up their defense more so that some of these shots are more difficult, that Struis isn't just walking into wide open looks. And also, when we talk about Bam, is he going to be someone that averages 20, 25 in this series? If if he is, that's a big difference. And it's, you know, if, if let's say that um, the Nuggets are able to figure something out with Jokic where he become, becomes more of a passer again. Even if Jokic is getting 28, 30, 32 a game, if Bam's getting 25, that's a win for for Miami especially if you're limiting how much Jokic is a distributor. So I think there's obviously there's a chance the series is tied they're going to Miami for the next two. Um does it fundamentally shift whether I think Miami can win will the series? 
Not really. I, I've always by saying that I think the series will go six. I'm giving them a chance. I'm not saying it's a foregone conclusion. Um, but this was, you know, this was the the gambit I thought that the Heat had to go to is forcing Jokic to try to beat them as a scorer. Uh, so we'll see how Denver goes about answering that. I feel like at some point they'll develop an answer. Rowan, what do you think? Because this will be, you know, the first time that the Nuggets have faced real adversity in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the first time they've lost a game at home in the playoffs. And now they'll go down to Miami. And I kind of wrote this towards the end of my column, you know, facing a team that has figured out how to beat them. And as a coach who just finds ways to, to come up with, with new ways to, to throw wrinkles at, at a team, uh, as this changed your mindset of the series. I don't know that it's changed my mindset, but I also think I was, so it's funny. I picked the nuggets in five, but I was also, I think less impressed with Denver after game one than most people were. I still think the series hasn't taken shape yet. It's funny. If you think back to the first two games in the heat Celtics series, Kevin Love started both those games and he was out of the rotation by the end of the series. I still think a lot can change between these two teams. I think there's still wrinkles that both can go to. That is one reason why I thought Spo's answer last night was especially mean, you know, the untrained eye. This entire playoffs, he's been like, it's not about scheme. It's not about scheme. That is his way of deflecting the fact that he's throwing out just wild stuff against these teams in every series. It's getting a little ridiculous. Um, so I don't know that it's changed my mind because I still think the Nuggets are the better team. I still expect them to win this series. But I do think what we've seen in games one and two, something new is going to emerge, I think, by the end of this this set of games in Miami. And we'll have a better sense of the real battleground this series is going to be played on because I, I think there's still a little bit more of a feel-out process to go here. I just still have a hard time believing. I mean, it's funny. I, I Again, like I, I was a apparently criticizing Jokic too much on this podcast, but he still had 41 Later. as you guys, <laughs> he still had 41 as you guys mentioned. I, I think he's still by far the best player on the floor. I will say one thing that I'm kind of waiting to see if it's going to happen or not. Are we going to see a, a Jimmy Butler game? You know, as much as we talk about the heat shooting on being unsustainable, we haven't seen Jimmy Butler. How about a Caleb to, Martin game? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have not seen Jimmy Butler play up to his capabilities yet. Not even the playoff 52-point Jimmy Butler, but um, the guy who we've seen throughout the last couple of years. So I still think there's a lot more meat on the bone in this series. At, at the same time, I'm, I'm feeling confident about my Nuggets pick. I still think the Nuggets win, but I'm basing that almost entirely on the fact that I think the Nuggets are more talented. And mm -hmm. when I think about yeah. that kind of projection – it's like, what more do I need to see? Like, Milwaukee was more talented. <laughs> yeah. New York was more talented. Boston yeah. was more talented. And yeah. Miami beat all three of those teams. Uh, you know, you mentioned Jimmy Butler, and he has not had that big Jimmy Butler game. I brought up Caleb Martin, who, you know, is dealing with some kind of illness that, you know, limited him in game two, and he was ineffective as well in game one. You figure he's going to have some kind of bounce back, and it's probably going to happen in Miami. And maybe Tyler Hero is back in the lineup. We haven't talked about him. Like Tyler oh, Hero, gosh. who was, you know, the Heat's second best offensive option during the regular season. I mean, I don't know what kind of minutes he's going to be able to give them being off for over a month. But just having him as part of the rotation has got to be at least some kind of net positive. I don't know. I'm going to stick with Denver. But I am far less confident about that pick today than I was uh, day before yesterday. I just... 
Aaron, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I'm feeling about this. I, I mean, two things. One, absolutely. I mean, if Denver, even if they take yesterday's game to overtime and then win, uh, you know, Murray hits that shot to go to overtime, and then they win by one in overtime, we're still talking about a sweep here, potentially. Um, I mean, I think no one would have been surprised if they went up 2-0 and then Miami steals three or four, or not steals, but gets three or four. We see the sort of relentlessness that they play with, as you wrote in your column. We know what Eric Spolster is capable of. I, I think more than any at any other time, you would have more people willing to acknowledge that Eric Spolster is the best coach in the league. Uh, so you have to give them that respect. I think most of us have done that. Um, the Tyler Hero thing is, is, is the second part of my point. I don't know what to make of that. Uh, obviously, Miami can use his offense. Um Maybe this is a situation where if you are playing Jokic the way that they did in game two, maybe maybe Hero really, really helps you because at that point, you're not asking him to do as much as it's complicated because, you know, when Jokic is just backing guys down and backing guys down and backing guys down and you're just single covering him, hopefully not with Zeller, uh, if you're doing that, then Hero's responsibility is somewhat straightforward defensively. Rohan and I talked about this um, at one point last week. My fear with him coming back after this much time off is not his offense, because even if he were a stationary shooter, as long as his hand, his wrist are okay, you you want him out there shooting for you. Uh, he's a playmaker. Uh, you don't have that many options on offense to playmake for you other than really Lowry. Um Caleb Martin, you know, obviously came alive and and the other parts of the playoffs and stuff like that. But you're asking a guy that is hobbled in Jimmy Butler to do so much of this for you. And as you guys were saying, we've now been waiting for him to kind of have this huge performance. And the real the realistic sense of it is that he really has not been exactly the same since he got hurt in that Knicks series. Uh, My fear is just that hero. If it was more like game one where everybody's firing on all cylinders and everybody is is dangerous to you uh i worry about plugging hero back into that environment defensively where frankly for how well duncan robinson and other guys have been playing lately uh those guys at least know their exact roles defensively they're not hurting you defensively the way tyler hero is capable of doing um i know you need his offensive punch you you do you absolutely do he's too good a player not to use him you were gonna use him um but I do wonder what it looks like. But maybe game two is, you know, shows how you can incorporate him if you're going to anchor guys on their man and you're not asking them to try to tag and to take care of cutters and stuff like that. That's a more favorable environment to be plugging him into than one where it's mass confusion because of how good and how lethal everybody on the Nuggets is. Yeah, I mean, I just I do think there's so much going on off ball with the Nuggets. I think. It, I don't can't remember if it was Gabe Vincent, but someone on the Heat said last night, you know, the the hardest part about guarding the Nuggets is trying to take away their cuts. Um, that that would be my fear again with the Heat incorporating Hero. I, I think if you do play him, he's going to have to be in some of those bench units to start the second and fourth. See if he can give you some offense there. But that that is a very difficult situation. I think diff- more difficult than people realize to find a way to incorporate him into a series like this uh, with this level of intensity, theoretically at least. I, I would be very careful. I, I mean, I I can't imagine him playing more than 
24 minutes, something like that. I, I just have to be very careful with incorporating him, in, even though there's definitely pockets of the game where you could use kind of his offense, especially in the pick and roll. Well, at least it's a series. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> going into game two, I wasn't Throw so him sure. in for Cody Zeller. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think two takeaways from this podcast is that Rohan hates Nikola Jokic and Cody Zeller. So... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> there is there is um i i watch the game in a separate room with then my parents you know i want to be able to focus the noises the noises <laughs> not manic laughing yeah. in the background why yeah. why would you why would you bring that up like, i just because because ah, people need the meatloaf the people, the people need to know that the noises emanating whenever cody zeller is in the game just fumbling the ball away i i've never heard more yeah. Just angst. Um, God, you are you are this close <laughs> to asking for Haslam. You were this close to asking for. Could he be worse? Could he be that much worse? There it Could is. There it worse? is. See, see, there it is. I knew we'd eventually get there. <laughs> he dropped twenty the last time he went out there. I don't know what the big deal is. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I think let that let that be his swan song then. Uh, all right, we will be back on Thursday. Rohan will be taking over the coverage on site down in Miami. Check out all our stuff. From Chris Herring, Rowan, Ned Carney, and myself over at SI.com. And we will see you back later in the week. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.